Hey there, friends. I am Ryan Henry, and welcome to 180, where we get to share absolutely amazing stories of Christian transformation from around the world. I'm talking every stage, every age, every region, from a homecoming queen to a witch doctor. I mean, these stories are just so, so exciting. And you can find us at 180podcast.com. That's O N E 80podcast.com. And please, would you just press that share your story button and maybe you'll even be able to be a guest on the show. It was that breaking down, realizing here's the fruit of your sin. Yeah. Do you see how empty it is? Do you see how it leads to death? But then it's also, here's the beauty of what Christianity gives you. And you are actually seeking the very thing that you're rebelling against. Thaddeus Maharaj was a skeptic of skeptics who actually set out to disprove Christianity. But instead of driving him further away, Thad's pursuit ended with the opposite conclusion. Jesus is truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And Thad decided he was going to pursue this truth head on and all in. Today, Thad is a Christian apologist and creative. Hear his story today on 180. Hey friends, this is Ryan Henry, and man, I'm just so excited to be here with Thad Maharaj today, and he's definitely a force to be reckoned with in Toronto, and we're so glad to have him share his 180 with us. So Thad, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ryan. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be able to have this opportunity to chat with you a little bit about my testimony and love the work that you guys are doing at 180. been able to check out a couple of podcasts and they've been really encouraging. Awesome, man. And now you get to be on one. Well, we like to actually start our show with a random question. If you could bring back any tradition that seems to have faded through time, which would you choose? Oh, any tradition. Any tradition. You know what? I'd bring back families eating together at dinner time. Oh, that's uh, good. I know that that may not... That may not be faded in some families, but I think for a lot of families today, we're so busy that, you know, it used to be that that was the central meeting point and touch point for the family where people got caught up, where we joked, we just enjoyed one another and laughed and feasted together, right? Uh, and I'd love to see that become the norm again in families because strong families build strong communities and build strong societies. So I think the family dinner meal together is probably high up on my list. There's probably something else that's more clever, but that's what I can think of right now. Hey, no, that's great. I love that. We are definitely uh, firm believers in that in my household. So that you've got an Indian name, you're from Toronto. So what's your heritage? <laughs> yeah, I'm a mixed bag of a lot of things. So my dad is East Indian. My dad's Trinidadian, but of East Indian descent. From his lineage, uh, we can only trace back so far because they came as indentured laborers to the Caribbean. On my mom's side, she is from Hong Kong. She was born in Hong Kong wow. and migrated when she was nine. And they bounced all over the world and eventually landed in Tobago, which is the sister island to Trinidad. So I'm a combination of East Indian, Trinidadian, and Chinese, but born and raised in Trinidad. So wow. I'm always a confusing one. When people meet me in the grocery store, it's not uncommon that like, you know, little Filipino grandmas will come to me and speak Tagalog because I look Filipino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, ah, sorry, don't, I don't talk Filipino. And then my accent comes out and betrays my Trinidadian roots. And then they're just all confused. <laughs> yes, that's hilarious. It's okay. It's yeah. good to be like ultra unique. So I, I love to ask you about your faith heritage. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in a Christian home, like my direct nuclear family was a Christian home. Mm -hmm. However, extended family on my dad's side was Hindu. 
So we grew up with extended family in one household. Mm -hmm. So our grandparents lived together with us. We also would have aunts and uncles kind of over all the time. Yeah. It's just sort of the way things were. Yeah. Then. And they were all Hindu. So I remember as a little boy helping my grandfather and grand grandmother lighting diyas for Diwali. And, you know, the whole thing, oh, they'd have pundits wow. over, they'd do their prayers and the pujas. Yeah, they'd be making sacrifices to, you know, idols, basically. Yeah. So that was sort of growing up is, you know, a nuclear family is Christian, loves Jesus. But then extended family, which was very close to us because we lived in the same household, was Hindu. So that, you know, was an interesting dynamic to grow up within. Did you guys figure out a way just to kind of make it all happen? Yeah, over the years, I think that got better. So actually, my dad, when he first converted out of Hinduism to Christianity, there was obviously a lot of pushback from the family because in Hindu culture, and this is similar to like Muslim culture, your religion is very much tied to your cultural identity. So to, to change religions, it's not just to change a religion or you know where you're going to, to worship, but it actually was very much tied to rejecting your culture. So because of that, you know, dad faced a lot of pushback from the family. I don't know if it was quite to the level of disowning, but you know, definitely were opposed to it. And then over the years, as they see, okay, he's not changing, he's still following Christ. Right. And now we're a family within this bigger family that's following Christ. We just had to work out how do we navigate those things? How do we love them, but yet not participate in a false religion? And it really took a lot of years. There was a lot. I remember very distinctly as a boy, my grandfather saying to me, you know, I was born a Hindu, I'll die a Hindu. Mm. So it's that sort of just wow. staunch yes. Hinduism within the home. I'm born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago, right. the southernmost island in the Caribbean archipelago. So we're actually just seven kilometers away from Venezuela. What was that? Like? It's interesting. So the Venezuela of today is not the Venezuela of back then, a prosperous land, actually. You'd have Trinidadians going there to visit and to vacation and so on. Uh, they were really economically doing well. And then the socialism fell there and their economy started tanking. Today, now we've got a lot of Venezuelan refugees coming to Trinidad. Growing up next to Venezuela, initially in the, the beginning was, was great. We had a lot of interaction in terms of tourism between the two countries. But then as just the, the bad effects of socialist policies took their toll, like that changed quite rapidly. Mm. So can you give us yeah. a picture of what you would spend your time doing as a, a child growing up in Trinidad? Like what would a typical day look like? Yeah, I was actually looking through some of my old uh, childhood photos. Yeah. And I was like, man, I look like a World Vision donation kid. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, so when I was born, we were living in a wood shack in what is now a very ghetto area of Trinidad mm -hmm. and Tobago. Galvanized roof, wood shack, pretty meager in terms of our financial situation. But I don't remember feeling like we were poor mm -hmm. when we were growing up. Everybody else around us is kind of in the same situation. So right. you never felt poor. Also, you didn't have Instagram to compare yourself with everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> growing up, you know, pretty simple life. We didn't have a lot of extra frills and, and thrills. So my snacks and were fruits is whatever was around. There's mangoes, there's, you know, pineapples and other things that we get on the island. Yeah. Uh, so I actually, even to this day, don't have a sweet tooth because of that. I always prefer to just have fruits. So growing up in Trinidad was was a joyous time. Growing up, I was sort of the church kid. I was the goody two shoes, dad's such a good boy, yeah. doesn't do a whole lot of things wrong kind of thing. And that was what I grew up in because my parents were very involved in their local church. So 
growing up around parents who were very involved in church and helping serve in, in various capacities, I think was good for me as a, a kid. Yeah, very much grew up a church kid where all of my closest friends were from church. How would you say that your family really practiced their faith at home? So dad let, always led us in devotions. I think pretty much every morning we would either read from a devotional book or it would be from the Bible. We try memorizing uh, different verses and so on. Also, I think our, our, our church was very good at that. So for the Sunday school program, I always tell people, because later on in life, I had a bit of a falling away from faith, which we'll get to as we talk a bit more about my story. But I always tell people like the Bible verses and memory verses that I memorized as a little child, they came back to haunt me later when I was in rebellion. Yeah. Those things of teaching your kids scripture, God can use that, but he can't use it if it's not in their hearts, right? Mm. Or in their memory, at least. So yeah, in terms of spiritual life at home, it was mainly family devotions, reading the Bible. We'd have discussions about things. My dad himself was still growing in the faith. I mean, he converted Hinduism. So I think there was definitely some growth that, that was happening on his end as well, too in terms of how he was understanding the faith more clearly and then able to pass it off. I think he did the best that he could. Oh, man, that's such a blessing to have, mm-hmm. to have that faith walked out in the home. Mm-hmm. And just kind of a, to help our listeners kind of get an idea, what would you say it, it, there's a difference between the Christianity that you experienced in Trinidad, even if like compared to what you have now in Toronto, what were mm-hmm. those cultures like? Like differences culturally? Yeah, like culturally, just even in the church. Christianity is interesting because to contrast Hinduism, Islam, where the culture is very much tied to the religion, Christianity tends to kind of morph and adapt to the cultures Mm -hmm. and the expressions in that culture. Mm -hmm. Not in a way that should change its core doctrines and theological convictions, but in the expressions of it. So for example, what our worship looks like, uh, our worship services, right? So when I first moved out of Trinidad into North America for school and started going to church there, that struck me. I went to like, you know, this conservative Baptist church and expect hearing songs which were familiar and hymns and whatnot. But I didn't know is that we sing hymns differently in Trinidad, Mm. that we sing them with Caribbean beats. Ah. So there's all of these traditional, you know, hymns and so on. But I knew them as having like a soca beat or a reggae beat. Yeah. <laughs> and then I right. heard them sung like how they were actually written. And I was yes. like, what's this? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Our God is great. Our God is strong. <laughs> God, you are high. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah, how, yeah, I see. I'm picking up what you're laying down. Exactly. Okay. So, you know, it morphs. It, it takes on some of the, the characteristics of the culture that it's in, yeah. which I think is a beautiful thing. I love going to different countries and hearing how they worship God and they're bringing in their uh, cultural heritage as well. Yeah. I mean, that's that's very biblical in terms of what we see in Revelation with every tribe, tongue, and nation and all the you know, wealth of the kingdoms coming into to God's kingdom. So as you mm. were growing up, would you say you were surrounded heavily with a, a lot of other Christians? Yeah, for sure. In terms of my formational years, growing up, very much grew up around church. All of my closest, closest church friends, even to today, uh, have some lifelong friends that I've made from my childhood Mm -hmm. that continue on to this. How is your perspective of God at that Mm -hmm. age? Just because someone's surrounded by a lot of Christians and going to church and stuff doesn't necessarily Mm -hmm. mean that they had this perspective or that perspective. What did you think of God at that age? I think reflecting on it, my faith was very much borrowed from my family and from my community around me. I don't think I had yet come to really own my faith mm-hmm. in the sense of making it my own. It's all I knew. Right? Yeah. Because you grew up in that community. I mean, I knew that there were people outside the faith, obviously, within our own household, we had Hindus. Right. But in terms of just how in, engaged, you know, we were as a core family in the church, it was all I knew. And 
I don't think because of that, like there was never an opportunity for testing. Mm -hmm. There's never opportunity for questioning and for seeing, okay, is this really what I'm convicted of or is this just what I've inherited? So Thad, how did life progress as you're growing up as a teenager through high school? Talk to us about that. Yep. So I went to a public school, worldly things in high school. Mm. That started to challenge my faith a little bit, but still, you know, for the most part, walking with the Lord and walking, trying to be faithful is how I understood. Mm. Now, mind you, I'm Still not sure if I was even saved at that point. I made a profession of faith, but I think profession of faith is different to possession of faith. Even though I said the right things, looking back on it and seeing, okay, what was the fruit of that? If there was genuine transformation of the heart and of the life and so on, I'm not sure looking at that time. There was also a a real time of testing during those teenage years where my parents' marriage was starting to really be on the rocks. It Hmm. actually ended up being a quite a long drawn out thing. That really rocked my faith. That rocked Hmm. my whole world. And I remember feeling very intense seasons of depression and just anxiety and stress. Home life was just no longer the safe space anymore. Not in terms of any violence, but because their relationship was falling apart, necessarily filtered down to us kids. Uh, As kids, you look to your parents as a source of safety, as a source of stability. And when their marriage is on the rocks, like your life is also going to be affected too. So that unfortunately led to uh, a divorce, which was quite challenging because both mom and dad love the Lord. You know, even to this day, mom is serving the Lord. She serves on the worship team and so on. Dad, same thing. He goes on mission trips and all that. So for a young kid to try to make sense of this, like, but wait a minute, we're Christians. Like, why is this not working out? Yeah. But it, all that to say, in terms of my own testimony, that was that was little pieces in there that started to rock the boat. That would continue to build as I left Trinidad to, to pursue for the education. You talk to us, what happened next? Yep. So I was at the time, and still, I'm very passionate about creativity. I think the Lord has given me a lot of different gifts in terms of the arts and so on. Wanted to pursue that, didn't know exactly where. And I did an internship at a advertising agency where I found out about 3D animation. Now, this was back in just the turn of the millennium, right? So like early 2000s, like 1999 into 2001, where 3D was a really new field. It hadn't yet gone mainstream. And I, I got a glimpse of this and I was like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about it, didn't know how do, how do you get into this field, nothing. So I did you know, some research and stuff, found some different design colleges in the States and started to apply. I eventually ended up going to a design college in Florida, in Tampa. And there I did my bachelor's of fine arts in 3D computer animation. While I was there, obviously I'm away from home now, on my own as a, a single in, in Florida, but very convicted I need to find a local church because my whole experience of life was that's how you make community. So I didn't know how to make community otherwise. Yeah. So this is where like training up your kids in the church is really helpful because it's all I knew. So it's the default that I went to. Right, right, and luckily right. found you know, Christian church, Baptist, American church that had actually a Brazilian service in the evenings. And I went to the American church in the morning and it was a sea of white hairs. Nothing against like the retired community, but yeah. you know how Florida has a yes. large retired community? So the church that I ended up in was literally all retirees almost. Oh my so goodness, I was the yeah. only young person there, stood out like a sore thumb. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the pastor, bless his heart, he came to me and he was like, hey, I notice you're, you're new here. I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, he was very kind to me, you know, but he actually suggested that I check out the Brazilian church, which met there in the evening because there was more young people. So I was like, okay, I'm not really Brazilian, but I'll go check it out anyways. I had right. nothing to do with yeah. the area. Huh. And I stepped into the Brazilian church and I kid you not Ryan. It was like stepping into Trinidad. Oh. It was a totally different language, but the culture was so much my own. Wow. I always joke around now with Brazilians. I'm like, y- y'all are just Trinis that speak Portuguese. <laughs> so I started going there as just like a 
just a novelty really but it ended up becoming like my real meaningful community there while i was in tampa so after a while i realized okay if i'm gonna stay with this church i'm gonna need to learn the language so i actually started learning portuguese just through you know i'd keep going to different services i go to everything they had so i went to prayer meetings i went to youth meetings i went to ladies meetings i went to oh my gosh that's hilarious and i would take a little notebook because this is before, you know, internet and like, you know, online Duolingo and whatnot. Yeah. Right? So I take a notebook and I just note down words that I was hearing that I didn't understand. And I'd ask, hey, what does this mean? And like figure it out that way. So it took the greater part of a year to really learn it. The first few months, it was all noise. It just sounded like one long word to me. Yep. But after, I'd say about four to five months, you start picking out words individually. And that's where your learning takes off. So after a year, I was actually pretty fluent in Portuguese. So I actually speak Portuguese now. Oh my goodness. And that'll be relevant later on in my testimony. Yeah. Because I didn't know it then, but God was preparing me for what was coming. Yeah. But all that to say, in Florida, my faith still, for the most part, remained pretty steady. It wasn't until I actually moved to Vancouver to do a post-grad diploma in film and visual effects because I was thinking about going into movies that I don't know what it was. I think maybe because Florida was still in the same time zone, it still kept me grounded, perhaps. I was still connected to, you know, some of my original community. Mm -hmm. But when I moved to Vancouver very secular culture it was a couple time zones away and it was spiritual isolation there Mm. and perhaps an opportunity for my flesh where to be honest i saw that as like i've never checked out what the world has to offer like all i've known is christendom and christianity and the church and i just kind of went aol while i was in Mm. vancouver yeah. Give us a picture of what you're talking about. Yeah. So Vancouver was in school. We were doing uh, a lot of intensive learning with a bunch of other guys. And this, the creative spheres tend to attract a lot of more liberal and even militant atheist people mm, as well. At least yes. it did like within my circles. No. And that can really be challenging to your faith. Yes. And I think just being surrounded by that, a culture and a, a community, it gave me opportunity to be like, okay, I need to explore this. Because I was like, they're having fun. They're going to the bars. They're picking up girls. They're doing all these other things. Yeah. So I started going out and enjoying those things because mm-hmm. I had no no accountability. I had no meaningful church community around me to hold me accountable. Yeah. And I think that year, I, I practically lived as an atheist. And I remember actually having distinct points in it because I think as you, you dive more and more into sin, sin has an effect on you as well, not just in terms of, how should I say it? Not just in terms of your morality, but mm-hmm. even in terms of your your openness to what you will entertain as truth. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, as you're diving into the things that the world has to offer, you don't want to actually believe something that will cut you off from that. Mm-hmm. It becomes something that you see as a hindrance to spoil my fun, basically. So I feel like that was sort of the impulse behind that period of time where I was functionally atheist and actually trying to disprove Christianity. Because in my mind was like, if I'm going to live the way I'm going to live and do whatever I want, but there's a God, then I'm going to be held accountable. So I don't want there to be a God. So I actually started really looking into different arguments against uh, the faith, against Christianity, against religion in general. And it was ironic enough that it was during that time that I stumbled into the field of apologetics. Mm. In trying to disprove faith, you stumble onto different debates and so on. And that was when I, I found out, oh, there's a thing such as apologetics. Yeah. And really started getting into apologetics because, again, I was I was trying to basically look for excuses as to why I could go and live my life however I wanted to. Now, was there a specific moment that you can remember actively deciding, like, mm-hmm. this Christian thing, that's all I've known, it's all I've done. I want to mm-hmm. start looking and, like, start Googling some things that see if I can disprove and see if I can get this God, you know, to not exist so that my my acts would be justified. Was mm-hmm. there a specific event that happened that really put you over the edge? I don't think there was a particular event. It was more cumulative. 
but I think part of it too was the remember I mentioned that you know the the memory verses and the stuff that you had as a child kind of comes back to haunt you. Yeah, it was my conscience wrestling with those things. Is you know I've memorized these things. I know these verses of what is sin, and you know what pleases God, what displeases God, and what the wages of sin are. I knew intellectually right. those things, and I had to, if I was gonna run off and do my own thing, I needed to disprove those things, put them behind me so that they won't haunt me anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was more so the impetus behind it. And really, I think it was God's sovereign hand that I even found solid resources because I know I've known of different people who've gone on similar journeys and they don't find solid resources to help them wrestle through the real difficult questions of the faith and the apologetic challenges. You know, sometimes they may stumble more onto like maybe the Sam Harris's or the radical atheists of like Richard Dawkins and so on. And they seem compelling, mm -hmm. which is always compelling if you don't hear the other side. Mm -hmm. But I was fortunate that I stumbled onto debates with very solid Christian apologists, men like James White, Ravi Zacharias back then, you know, Willem Lane Craig was a little bit influential for uh, a bit for me, but there were other voices that I think gave a very compelling defense of the faith mm. that was helpful. Os Guinness is another guy. Yeah, just a ton of them. I, I, I literally binged on that when I wasn't working yeah. because again the I, I guess it's the way i'm constituted is that it, it needs to be logically consistent if i'm gonna live this way then you know my worldview my my life philosophy has to also accord with that otherwise i'm always going to be a man in conflict yeah yeah so as you were looking at these and listening to these debates what did you find yourself mm -hmm. learning was there a time where you felt yourself shifting more on the atheist side and if you could just elaborate mm -hmm. on that and maybe say like what were some of those points that were kind of helping you get there sure you know, I don't think it was necessarily an intellectual argument that was moving me more towards wanting atheism to be true. It was honestly more of a fleshly impulse of like, I'm enjoying my sin right now. Yes, I'm enjoying yeah. going out and drinking with the boys. I'm enjoying having the attention of ladies and, you know, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Fill in the blank. Yeah. I think part of it is that we don't want the church, the truth, unless we love it. One of the things that I see in scripture, for example, in passages is like Romans 1 that talks about man's natural rebellion, is, is not that we don't have the truth, but that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Yeah. So our main problem is not a lack of information. Mm -hmm. Our main problem is a lack of righteousness. Mm -hmm. And that was literally what was happening with me. I was living an unrighteous life and I didn't want the light. Jesus says that he is the light, right? Mm -hmm. And that the darkness doesn't like the light that exposes their evil right. deeds. And that was me. Yeah. So so I think it was far more of a, a moral aversion or a moral dilemma mm -hmm. that led me towards wanting atheism to be true, more so than it was intellectually compelling. Yeah. Now, the intellectual piece of it was very important as well for me to work out. And I think that was where Christian apologetics helped. But I don't think it was my heart really was broken in seeing the repercussions of my sin that I would even want to accept the intellectual arguments, which I realized were strong, oh. if that, that made sense. Yeah. So yeah. God had to bring me to this point of, of just brokenness. That was my low point, so to speak. Yeah. Where this was at the end of that year, that <coughs> year intensive, where I just felt betrayed by some close friends. I had a female interest that also felt true. Mm. And a, a mm. bunch of other things were happening too, even around the career path. And so on. I just felt like my life was falling apart. And it was one of those crisis moments where it's like, well, what are you going to turn to? So that on top of the apologetic side of things, where I was starting to see that this is true. It was actually the thing that was compelling intellectually was not any particular one argument, but it was the impossibility of the contrary. Mm. That regardless, life in general, morality in general, beauty in general, 
All these things that we take for granted, they're impossible without assuming Christianity. Mm. Without the God, the triune God of the Bible specifically, there's no basis for objective morals. There's no basis even for beauty. And those are things mm. that I love as a creative. Mm. I love beauty because like, yeah. I'm in that business of aesthetics. Yeah. Right? Uh, so I think those things were also very compelling as well. So it's a, it's a whole hodgepodge of different things that God had to use because it's hard to, to pin it down on one thing because we're not so simple. Like we're, we're complex holes. And when God grabs a whole of you and saves a man, he saves the whole of him. Mm. Not just his intellect, not just his affections, mm. not just his actions, but all of him. Yeah. And I think that was what was going on then. Mm. It was that wow. breaking down, realizing here's the fruit of your sin. Yeah. Do you see how empty it is? Do you see how it leads to death? But then it's also, here's the beauty of what Christianity gives you. And mm. you are actually seeking the very thing that you're rebelling against. Well, wow, that's so powerful. Wow. So that's I have to like chew on that for a second. I like what you said that that God saves the whole person. How it's kind of hard to pinpoint, and it's true. And and isn't that beautiful? How God He does seek us. It says that we love because He first loved us. We didn't love Him first, and He pursued you. And I always refer to it as God established the world with wisdom, right? And so mm. everything was laid and everything was decided with wisdom. The whole Proverbs eight. But the the beautiful thing is is that. It's set up so that if you start to go against that wisdom, if you start to go against mm-hmm. God's natural order, it starts to work against you. It, it almost mm-hmm. in, a, in a way of saying, hey, this is not good. Go back, go back. This is not working for you. And so as you said, yeah. your, your life starts to fall apart. And it's, mm-hmm. it's beautiful how God ordained it to work that way when things aren't working mm-hmm. for us. We have to really stop mm-hmm. and say, okay, What's going on here? It yeah. says in James that every good and perfect gift comes from God, who is the father of lights. Right. right? All of those enjoyments, <laughs> all those pleasures actually find their right fulfillment in him and their source in him. Mm. Uh, and this is why I can eat a steak to the glory of God. <laughs> or yeah, I can yeah. paint a, a picture. I can do whatever it is because I'm realizing all the good gifts come from him. Interesting. Wow. That's really powerful. And actually that goes really well with the verse you were talking about in Romans 1 earlier mm-hmm. about the confusion started and God gave people over to their to their sin because mm-hmm. of the confusion that fell on them because we worshiped things that were created instead of the creator mm-hmm. and that's exactly what you're talking about as we you start to dabble in sin that becomes your mm-hmm. god wow yeah. very very powerful i think too something just to, to add in on, on top of that and this was something i had to grow in and understand re- reflectively is that sometimes our apologetic is very focused on the intellect and making rational reasoned arguments, which is important. But I think we sometimes neglect to show how the Christian world and life view is not just intellectually compelling, but it's also beautiful. It's a beautiful vision of flourishing because it accords with how God has designed us to flourish. And I think we need to get a little bit better at doing that because that's really the thing that's compelling. The The world often rejects Christianity. I know I was doing this because I thought it was ugly, yeah. right? But Actually, the Christian vision of life and flourishing is is actually very beautiful. I always tell people like Christian truth is not just intellectually compelling, true and and reasoned and so on. But the reason why we have to sing our truth is because it's beautiful. Mm. There's not a whole lot of religions in the world that sing the truth. Mm. Like we don't just recite propositional doctrine, but Mm. we have to sing it Mm -hmm. because there's an aspect to that, that we're created to worship and that beauty is part of that. Yeah even integral to the whole Christian world and life view. And it was C.S. Lewis who actually said that the books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing, 
These things, the, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. For they are not the thing itself, they are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune that we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. That's very much expressive of how we should see things that we take our enjoyment in. So everybody, you can go and check our show notes if you want to read that for yourself, because man, that is, that is some powerful stuff. So if you were just to really quick boil it down, concise, the compelling arguments that made you go, wait a second, maybe I should really consider this faith that I grew up with. Boil that down concisely. I think some of the most compelling intellectual arguments that I was wrestling with was the question of morality, uh, that we all inherently know that there is good and evil, and we're all moral absolutists. Even the relativist and the postmodernists who denies absolute truth and absolute reality are actually moral absolutists, and you can prove that very simply by stealing the wallet. You will object <laughs> and assume a moral absolute. Yeah. So just on his face, moral relativism, it, it falls flat, and I, I knew that. Like I was learning that and growing into that. But also reasoning from that, if, if there are moral absolutes, these moral laws that seem to be universal, then there must be a moral law giver. Every moral law is actually done in relation to persons. So this moral law not only has to come from a moral giver, but that giver has to be personal. You know, by nature, its intrinsic characteristics is also personal. So even within that, you're starting to see that there must be um, a moral law giver. Also, this moral law giver has to be transcendent because he must be over everything in or and universal, so omnipresent, in order for these moral laws to be true in every place and every time. So very quickly, you see that it's impossible that the God of, of Christianity does not exist. If we live in his world, we, we, we can't help but live in his world, even if we deny him. Mm. And we must live by these moral absolutes. And everyone lives that way, even the one who tries to deny it. And they'll be inconsistent at different times. I was inconsistent. As I would say, oh, well, you know, that's good for you. That's, you know, what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. But I don't actually live that way. Mm. Even on sort of concept of absolute truth, you know, some people say, oh, it's your truth. Speak your truth. No, we need to speak the truth. Truth, and nobody actually lives as a relativist in terms of truth either, especially when they go to the bank account. <laughs> no one is yeah. like, oh, well, I think I have like this much money, but the bank thinks I have that much money. No, like we believe in absolute truth, that there are absolute truth values that, and propositions that are objectively true, whether or not I accept them, that the car coming down the street is going to hit me regardless of if I believe that or not. Right. Untangling the word gymnastics that sometimes we play as we're rebelling against the God who we know mm. who is, because I do believe now, looking back on my journey is not that I didn't know that God existed. I just didn't want him. To. And I think, you know, scripturally speaking, there's no such thing as a true atheist because uh, scriptures say that we know that God exists, mm. but we suppress that truth in unrighteousness mm. that we know also from creation, Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, right? Day to day, it pours forth speech and mm. there's no place where it doesn't get through. Mm. Uh, and mm. even if we were to go further with that Romans 1 passage, it says that that revelation to us is so clear that we are literally, the word in Greek is anapologetus, that we're without an apologetic, we're without excuse. Mm. So scripturally speaking, at least, there's no such thing as an atheist. There, there are people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Wow. And that wow. was really what I was doing. And I've, I've noticed that as, like, I continue to do evangelism and apologetics with people. That's part of my role, actually, at the church that I work at, yeah. and also just doing it on the streets. Hmm. You see that as you dig deeper and deeper as to, okay, I've given you all these compelling reasons as to why Christianity must be of necessity true, but yet you keep jumping to different things or rejecting that. Why is that? And you start asking those moral questions of why do you have a moral aversion 
to this being true. Right. You start to get that the heart, which is actually that suppression and unrighteousness. Hmm. And I think that's one of the things I hope that listeners pick up on this is that your job as an apologist or as an evangelist or just a Christian in general trying to share your faith is not necessarily to offload a bunch of intellectual arguments. Those can be helpful, but that's not actually what converts people. And that's not their core problem. Scripture says that our core problem is unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. So, in our use of even <clears throat> apologetic arguments, it's to expose the unrighteousness. It's to expose why are you suppressing this? Mm -hmm. Why do you not want this to be true? Mm -hmm. What is it about your life that you think you need to hold on to and suppress that truth because you think it's going to take away that joy or whatever that you're you know, mm. getting pleasure in. Usually it's something sinful. And then that's where the gospel comes in. Because if our problem was intellectual, God would have sent us a scholar. Mm. Our problem's unrighteousness, so he sent us a savior. Wow, I gotta, I gotta think about that one first. That was amazing. <laughs> Speaking of the savior, was there a spiritual truth that you started to see more clearly and really started to embrace it? Where it goes from mm. your head finally down into your mm -hmm. heart? That's a good question. Uh, I've always said that the longest distance in the human body is from head to heart. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that one foot is the longest distance to travel. Yeah. We can know a lot of things in our heads. I think that was me because I did grow up in a solid church. I did hear the gospel. I did hear a lot of biblical truth, but it was all head knowledge. Yeah. It had not yet migrated to my heart. And really that's a distance that only the Holy Spirit can traverse. Mm. There's no formula that i can give you really and honestly i believe that my salvation was uh, probably there is faithful parents praying for me <laughs> parents yeah. pray for your kids because really it's only the holy spirit that can push that knowledge from head to heart and make that come alive and that's the holy spirit's role he convicts the role the the world of sin righteousness and judgment mm -hmm. that's his role to convict we we can yeah do all we, we can to give them truth and so on but it's it's actually the spirit that has to birth that that's why we're born again as, as right. christians we're spiritually dead we have to be made alive to these truths and you'll continue to reject that truth until god really does that supernatural work mm. so every time someone gets saved that should be just such a wondrous mysterious event to us mm. because that is literally god performing a resurrection of a dead heart yeah yeah. as turning a, a heart of stone, which was my heart, into a heart of flesh, uh, so that we'd want his law, so that we'd want his word, we'd want his righteousness. Apart from that, though, we continue to reject it. Mm. So in terms of like, what is the deciding factor? It's that. If there was a specific mm. spiritual truth that you really started to see more clearly that maybe pushed you over the edge, mm. come back to Christ. I grew up kind of knowing these things in my head, but I think it was actually certain preachers and funny enough youtube was just starting to be really very culturally influential and this was the the period of time too where you started having sermons and clips going online and it was actually some sermon clips from paul washer he's an american preacher and evangelist mm. in the states that i don't know i started to binge just watch him because mm. For some reason, what he was preaching was a simple gospel. It's the gospel I knew, but it was with such power and such conviction that it was mm. pivotal for me, mm. that he really helped me put those things together, that mm. it was like, yeah, I knew this intellectually, but how does this, why is it that I'm sinful? And why is it that I need a savior? What, is it really that bad? Like I grew up as a good church boy, right? But the way that Washer expounded sin and, it's, and the depravity of the human heart really just exposed me. Mm. And I think he shone a bright light that needed to be shone on the mm. darkness of my heart. And he made Christ compelling as well. There was other guys like Vody Bauckham, John Piper, uh, John MacArthur, those sorts of guys. I was starting to now listen to podcasts and videos. I still, at this point, by the way, was not yet plugged into a solid local church. But these guys were bringing really hard-hitting gospel truths to my life. And the funny thing is it was like stuff that I knew, at least in my head. But I don't know, maybe it was just 
now it was God empowering those truths, mm. but they were just hitting me hard. And I started to realize, apart from the intellectual persuasion that I was convinced of now, oh my goodness, Christianity is not like a one foot in, one foot out kind of thing. Mm. Like I'm either all in or I'm not. Yeah. Christ calls us to. Mm. That very sobering passage in Matthew 7, I think, was helpful for me. That Jesus says, on that day, many will come to me mm. and say, Lord, Lord, did I not do many mighty deeds? Did I not prophesy? All these other things. These guys are doing things that I haven't even done. And yet Christ says, I'll say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So the question isn't, do you know Jesus? But rather, does he know you? Mm. And I realized like that also his call into his kingdom is, is, it's not like I'd be honest, an accessory, like a handbag. It's no, I'm, I'm Lord of all of your life. It's either he's Lord of all or not Lord at all. Mm. So I think that was just really what God was doing in that period of time in my life to mm. clarify the gospel's call on my life. Again, there's nothing new. It's nothing that I hadn't heard. Perhaps it was that I had new ears to hear it, mm. to hear it maybe for the first time and to just be really clear that you're either all in or you're not. There's right. no such thing as half-hearted Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. I think dispelling that myth was really helpful for me. So do you remember the moment that you actually said yes? I don't think it was a moment. I think it was a growing thing. Yeah. Uh, people often ask me, when were you saved? And I'm just like, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not sure uh -huh. because, you know, yeah, if I go as far back at, you know, 12, I made a profession of faith. But right. I think like we were saying before we started the recording, profession is different from possession of faith. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I grew into that a little bit more during mm. my teenage years and going through the divorce and having to turn to God in those years, but then had another kind of rebellion in Vancouver and like mm. having, again, God bring me down so it felt a lot like a process of god just making those things come alive through different means and different perhaps different angles that i needed to have that truth seep into my life yeah yeah and so i see my salvation has been a process yeah. of growing into that i do believe in regeneration that is a probably a point in time where god does make your heart come alive it's just for some people it's harder to discern what was that point yes yeah especially for those who grew up in a christian home it's hard lord willing my wife and i have kids and we're raised up in the fear of the Lord, like all they'll know is loving Jesus mm -hmm. and they'll grow into that faith. Yeah. Sometimes I think in evangelicalism, we can be too focused in on that one point crisis point that we really stress on that. And it, it can make people who don't have that crisis point feel left out. But yeah, that's actually not in scripture. And that's something that we've seen. One of the things I loved so much about interviewing mm. people is realizing how mm. people come to the Lord so differently. And your story yeah. is unique to yourself. And we have people who are sobbing on the bathroom floor and some somebody mm -hmm. like uh, who through a prayer with somebody just feels the presence of God. And from that moment, they're forever changed. Mm -hmm. But then you've got people who it's like a process. And I actually, I would say that I, even for myself, I, I have a moment where I remember praying and accepting Christ, but even that mm -hmm. was still a process after that. And so, yeah. So to those of you who are listeners who you, know, you can't necessarily pinpoint exactly where that yes moment was, sometimes mm -hmm. it's an accumulation of all these very microscopic yeses that mm. that lead us into experiencing the fullness of our salvation and it's really yeah. hard to pinpoint no one goes gives it and says okay by the way you're going to be accepting christ in the next month mm. so there's no script you just it yeah. just happens yeah absolutely i think it, it shows just the the glory and creativity even of christ of god yeah right? like yeah. that he can save uniquely and each story each story is beautiful in its own right right and right. he writes a unique story each time he's not plagiarist right yes <laughs> so, yeah I, I love that yeah, yeah exactly he never runs out of mm. ideas it's so great so what happened as mm -hmm. this transition is happening, 
What did you start to notice? It? There was a change. I don't think I fully had uh, figured out all the implications of what God was doing in my heart. Right. So there was some rough years in between there. Also, I needed to find a solid church. So that took some time as well. But even after that, I guess if you want to call that the conversion sort of experience, right. there was still some things I needed to work through and also some even crisis points to follow that continued to refine me. So from Vancouver, went back to the States, worked freelance for a bit in 3D, eventually landed a job in video games as a character artist. That was something that was a dream of mine. I never really cared a whole lot about video games itself, but I wanted to be a character artist because I love creating characters. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a 3D sculptor and texture artist. And my goal was like, I want to be at a big time uh, studio creating world-renowned characters and a lead character artist basically and i worked in you know started off as a junior character artist at a studio in manhattan that eventually led to other jobs so actually it landed a job at rockstar games which is a very well-known uh, video game studio they yeah. make uh, titles such as grand theft auto yeah uh, red dead redemption and so on so i started there I worked with rockstar for about three or four years i think and within a very short space of time i was actually working on lead characters for their games many of which probably some of your audience know so i was working on the main characters for those games and it's interesting because that happened in kind of record time i i don't know of many other artists within my field and it's not to boast of myself that make that progression from junior artists to working as basically a senior or a lead in that short space of a time i almost feel like it was god kind of testing me again because mm. in my heart, what I was thinking was, if I could only achieve this, if I could only do this, then I'd be happy. And then I'll serve you, Lord. Mm. Like I was putting off, like being all in because I was like, I have my goals for my life. Right, right. I'm working on these projects. I'm loving my job. I'm loving working on these things. I think that God blessed me with those uh, talents and also even with those jobs. Like, for example, I was able to share the gospel with a couple of guys on my character team and so on. But at the same time, I was feeling this growing discontent with what I was doing with my life. Because at the same time, I'm working on games like Grand Theft Auto V, which is not the most morally clean <laughs> video yeah, game, let's yeah, just yeah, say. Yeah. And that was conflicting my Christianity, which was growing in conviction. And I was kind of, is this really what I want to be spending my life on? Mm -hmm. What is the legacy that I'm going to leave behind? And really asking those sorts of questions. So at the same time as hitting the peaks of what should be the ultimate thing that fulfills me. That's what I thought would bring me ultimate satisfaction and so on. Hmm. I was also feeling a growing discontent in my heart. Hmm. And, you know, I didn't have a miraculous word from the Lord, but I felt like what was happening in that time was God was giving me the thing that I thought that I wanted, that I thought would bring me full satisfaction. Hmm. And it was like, hey, so you, what do you, how about now? <laughs> Are you yeah. satisfied? Yeah. Is it as good as you thought it would be? Right. And my answer had to be no, right? And I think it was, there's a quote, true hopelessness doesn't come from failure. It's actually from attaining the thing that you thought would bring you ultimate satisfaction and it lets you down. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was me. It was yeah. almost like a second salvation. It, it, not truly, but like in a sense of God was stripping away yeah. now at my affections, yeah. what yeah. I thought yeah. would, would really captivate wow. my soul and satisfy me. Wow. I came to such a point where I was like starting to pray, God, I, I need to move out of here. My heart's no longer in mm. it. But I, I don't want to move from somewhere that you've placed me. So I, I prayed this way. I was like, if you want me to move, you have to move me. And that's a dangerous prayer to pray. <laughs> and at the same time, I was also building this theological hunger 
and I was wanting to pursue theological education. Mm. But again, I didn't want to leave a job that I thought that God had blessed me with. So I prayed that prayer. And literally a couple months later, the Lord answered that prayer. Mm. I was dismissed from my job through a bunch of fortuitous and providential things. Those circumstances actually led to me doing seminary. I did my master's of theology and also got provided the funds that I needed for that. Because that was one of the things that I was like, how am I going to pay for that? I don't know how to do this. Right, uh, but right. God provided every single cent. Yeah. That was kind of how I knew God was moving me along in that direction. Tandem with that, I was actually growing in a church community. I found a solid church, had godly men around me who could affirm these things, which is really, really important. I'd speak to, I think, a lot of young men who are very, perhaps, zealous. Don't be zealous by yourself. Yeah. Like, have godly older men who are spiritual mentors to you that can affirm things. Because, like, sometimes you can just have ambition, mm -hmm. right? Selfish ambition. Mm -hmm. And you can't test your own heart in that. So, I was very much having godly men around my life who I was like, you know, I feel this way. I feel like led this way. I have this desire growing in my heart, but I need you to affirm that. I need you to observe in me if that's what you also see God doing in me. Yeah. And they did. And it was very helpful in that. So, you know, move, the move towards seminary and full-time studying uh, theology was that sort of a progression. While I was doing that, so I left the job, uh, in, I left the video game industry. I thought for good. Ended up that the way that God helped provide for my second and third year of my master's was they gave me a job teaching at a design college in the video game department. So I taught computer animation and uh, character design there. And yeah, it's just... It's, it's just so amazing looking wow. back at it because yeah. I, I had no clue what I was doing, man. Yeah. I didn't know how I was going to pay for this. Thanks for tuning in to 180. Make sure to follow, like, and share our show with your people. Now, back to the show. Yeah. But yeah. God provided. And it was kind of one of those things where you have to step out in faith. You know, the proverb for me that helped a lot with that is that a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs hmm. his steps. Yeah. And it implies that you're already moving forward. Because mm. God can't be directing your steps unless you're stepping forward, yeah. basically. Yeah. So, yes, plan, make plans. That's good. Yeah. But also trust God's sovereignty that he'll he, he's powerful enough to redirect you if you go in the wrong place. Yes. But you submit your plans to the Lord, you know, and he'll make your path. That's right. so good. And that's, that, you know, that's really important. I'm really glad that you said that because as I, as I talk to a lot of different young people about, you know, the plans that they're making, and one thing I, 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 I find sometimes is almost like a hesitancy to step forward. Like, what do I do? Mm. What do I do? And it's like, it's okay. He, mm -hmm. he loves you so much that he will redirect you. Yeah. He'll guide you. Like you're in Absolutely. good hands. So I like that. Make your yeah. plans and the Lord will direct you yeah. and, and, and totally trust and have assurance that he'll do it. That's mm -hmm. really good. That's, yeah. that's one of yeah. uh, my favorite, one of my favorite preachers. He says, sometimes the best uh, prayer you can pray is Geronimo. Amen. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> like just Geronimo jump in. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, amen. God, you direct me now. Yeah. Right? I'm going for it. I think this is where you're leading me. I think this is, you know, I've had some godly counsel. They affirmed this. I see from your word, this is in alignment sure. with your word. If you've done all those checks, just then jump in just and go. just trust that he'll direct you if you're going wrong and he'll bless it if you're going right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I feel like sometimes it's easier for a creative to do that that it is for somebody who mm. might be a little bit more, I guess, more of the left brain. You want to know exactly <laughs> how you're going to get there, you know. But, you know, obviously yeah. God God works through all of us in our in, in, in unique ways, you know. So so I understand Absolutely. that you you started a ministry to serve creatives in a Christian context, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so can you, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So after seminary, I ended up working full-time at my local church, so where I'm still currently in full-time ministry. I help with, you know, all the media stuff 
but also all the teaching that's not pulpit. So classes, workshops, small group curriculum, discipleship pathways for like people who are seeking to become members or disciple or uh, sorry, baptized or like just new believers and need to be grounded in the foundations of the faith. Mm -hmm. And I think it was actually through local church ministry and seeing the needs of real people they interacting with. And also our church is blessed to have quite a few creative types as well Mm -hmm. that I realized that there is this void there. And I don't think it was just unique to our congregation. I had experienced this as well in other churches that I'd been a part of, mm. where there really wasn't a whole lot of ministry towards creatives, challenging them to think deeply theologically. Uh, and sometimes the ministry that was geared towards creatives would be, or ministries that, that aim at creatives would sometimes be theologically dubious, <laughs> let's just say. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like that was just a burden on my heart. That's like, man, we need to equip creatives as well to know god's word love god's words and have and like be theologically robust in in their their christian life but also still be creative because i think as you equip creatives that way they can't help but for it to come out through their creativity i think sometimes we perhaps focus on the wrong thing we think about technique we think about just focusing in only on the creative side of things Mm -hmm. but i found that in my own life that you give a person deep beautiful theology coming back to that point that christian truth is not just propositionally true but it's beautiful it you can't help but create out of that mm. and that's really the part of the the vision behind what i started which was just called theotivity is just theology and creativity smashed together mm. which is a, just a ministry that i started it was my geronimo amen prayer basically yeah i didn't know if this was gonna <laughs> take off i still don't know how god's gonna do it but I'm concerning myself with the depth and I'll trust him for the breath. And the vision behind it is I want to equip Christian creatives, particularly with deep theology that's beautiful, that's presented beautifully as well. And just trust that, you know, God will use to inspire creative projects perhaps out of that. Wow. Because you create always out of your worldview, whatever your worldview is. So you, the more you sharpen your Christian worldview, the more that's just going to naturally be reflected in what you create. So yeah. that's a lot of the vision behind Theotivity and that ministry that I started. It started off just as a blog where I was republishing a lot of the same curriculum I was writing for classes and workshops at our church and also other stuff that I was writing. And then that grew to eventually a podcast now, which I'm podcasting every week, uh, different you know i do different interviews with other friends or other creatives or pastors and stuff i do a lot of audio narration of articles that i've written already and again the the vision behind it is just to theologically primarily christian creatives but also even challenging them to to think okay well how does your christian faith now impact all areas of your life not yeah. just your sunday mornings but your creative like how you approach creativity how you think even about beauty right like that was revolutionary for me is understanding that there's a theology of beauty that actually comes from our understanding of the trinity and like that that's where theology now has feet on the ground hmm. because i think until you kind of get there it's some of these concepts like the trinity for example can hmm. seem like this very ethereal abstract concept that i need to know but i don't know how it really applies to my life hmm. but you need to land that theological plane so to speak it needs to hit the ground and and have impact on your daily life so that's sort of the stuff that i'm interested in is like teasing out okay we've got all of this history and lots of systematic theologies and all this thing, the great writings by, you know, well-informed Christian writers. Right. Let's now start to apply those things to on the ground and how does it impact Christians' lives wow. day to day in terms of how we think about culture, about life, and particularly for me, about creativity. Yes. Wow. That's that's so exciting. Yeah. Could you say the name of your podcast again so we can, we, we want to make sure that we mm-hmm. put it in our show notes. Sure. It's Theotivity. So literally just smash theology and creativity together. And that's the word. So theotivity. Theotivity. Uh, and and you, the podcast is called the same thing. Yeah. And the yeah. website, you have a website, no. theotivity.com, T-H-E-O-T-I-V-I-T-Y.com. Correct. That's right. 
Excellent. Okay, we'll we'll make sure we put that in our in our show notes. That's cool. Yeah, uh, that's great. Thank I can't you. wait to check that out myself. Um, and I love that idea. I have a heart for creatives myself because it's a very it can be a very lonely world being a creative person. Mm. And you know, when you think about creativity, you're taking something that was that is like in the depths of within you and even within the heart of God. You know, as a Christian creative, yeah, I feel like our our goal is to kind of pull the heart of the Lord through what we do and, 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 and let mm. it just, you know, flow out through us. And, uh, and it can be yeah. a very lonely world, you know, when you're like, I see something, but I don't know exactly how to, to make it mm. be. And, uh, and so it's really great that you want to provide support. Mm. And, and, and I really appreciate that you want to provide, you know, good theological support for that, because you're right. I mean, mm. there's, it's really, really important that what we create, re, you know, appropriately represents the God that we have. That's, that's awesome. What you said sparked just two ideas, if, if you don't mind me sharing. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I thought in terms of why, why you started a ministry that's, that's particularly geared towards Christian creators is kind of niche, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is, is, I think it's actually strategic. If you think about it, and we all kind of recognize this in the West, that our culture is in, in decline in terms of Christianity. Christianity is more and more becoming just thought of antagonistically and you right. know, culture is radically opposed to a lot of Christian views and so on. And I think a lot of that has happened because creatives tend to be the creators of culture as well. They are our culture's prophets and priests, so to speak, right? That mm -hmm. they, they're the ones that, pr that present new concepts, ideas, ideologies in compelling ways mm -hmm. and package those through storytelling, through drama, through visual, through music. All of these things are ways that actually shape us on a fundamental level. Like we are at core, I think more we're more intuitive than we are intellectual a lot mm. of times. The way that you live day to day, you're not thinking like, you know, intentionally, oh, what is my, my worldview and how does it apply to this particular instance that I'm doing? No, we kind of live intuitively. Mm. And the arts actually affect us on that level, almost mm. a subconscious level of our affections, mm. because it's our affections that often drive a lot of what we do day to day. Mm. And creatives are, I think, uniquely gifted at speaking to that element of of people and by extension shaping culture in that way so by having ministries that are geared towards theologically equipping creatives it can be a very strategic thing in terms of when you think about the advance of god's kingdom here in this world mm -hmm. because if creatives get a, a glimpse of the glory and the beauty wow. of god and his word wow and that they start to bring that through their channels now you will see culture transform like look at how culture has transformed even within the past couple of decades how you have some very extreme leftist sort of views what did they do they took over institutions firstly of education mm -hmm. and of creativity of mm -hmm. media mm -hmm. right like the the media propagates a lot of the ideologies that our culture believes mm -hmm. and our educational stuff so i think mm -hmm. it's it's one of the strategic things you can do when you're thinking about, okay, how can we help to advance God's kingdom and yeah. to bring his reign more and more? That's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, let your kingdom, let your kingdom. come here on yes. earth as it is yes. in heaven, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if we have yeah. listeners who are skeptical about Christianity like you were, what which book, which book would you... Mm -hmm. Let me try the whole thing. If we have listeners who are skeptical about Christianity like you were, which book would you most mm -hmm. recommend that they would go and... Mm -hmm. So many. Actually, I've... Let me pull it up on my website. <laughs> no, you're good. Because I do have uh, resources. Yes, please do. Okay. All right. So I think one book that's really, really helpful is actually a book called What's Your Worldview? An Interactive Approach to Life's Big Questions. It's by James N. Anderson. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I recommend that book, have you ever read Choose Your Own Adventure books as a child? No, that I have. It's apologetics. Wow. 
So it, choose your own adventure books basically were a story where it would come to a, a T-junction almost. And it would say, you know, if you choose to go left mm. on this path, you turn to page so-and-so. If you choose you know to turn what? right, yes. like turn to I page. Think, yes, yes. Okay. So this is an apologetics book that is written mm. like that. It's like a choose your own adventure book, but it's not choosing your own adventure. It's discover your own mm. worldview. So it's really very mm. clever, this book. So it takes you through, it first starts off by asking you some very foundational questions to establish, okay, what's the broad categories they fill, you fall into? And then you, it, it hits, you hit these T-junctions where it says, if you believe this about reality, turn to this page. If you believe this about the reality, turn mm. to that page. And it's really mm. neat because it's a way of um, teaching people what is a worldview and what is my worldview and why do I believe mm. these things? But then eventually it leads to a point of like, you know, if it's some other worldview, let's say um, you end up in Islam or in uh, New Age or whatever mm. it is, it'll have a, a, a apologetic there as well that helps that person think through critically, okay, is this worldview consistent? Is this worldview mm. compelling? And then they can go back through and, and retrace different steps and choose different mm. pathways. So I think that's a, a really unique apologetic mm. tool that I highly recommend to a lot of uh, folks, especially because a lot of people have never even considered a worldview or th thought like intentionally about what are the presuppositions that mm -hmm. I bring to the table. That's a great book. That's an introductory mm. book to that. The other one that I tend to recommend is one called Can I Really Trust? And it's by Barry Cooper. And I like that one because it's a short book. Today, a lot of people struggle with reading and that's a nice, short, compelling argument, I think, for the real reliability of God's word because that's really our yeah. starting point is that, you know, if, if we're going to argue and talk about Christianity, we have to talk about the Bible. Don't put down your sword. Like, you know, that that is God's inspired word and it is compelling and powerful by itself. So I think apologetics that help us see the, the trustworthiness of the Bible and why it's compelling are also helpful in just having and opening up those conversations because until you can bring in God's word, you're, you're leaving your sword yeah, at right, home, right? That's the thing that God's spirit mm -hmm. empowers, right? Uh, and I'm a big fan too of just Bible study with 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 non-believers. Like I've actually done that mm -hmm. with a few people. It's so remarkable, mm -hmm. Ryan, because I think sometimes we can think it's all mm -hmm. up to us as apologists, as evangelists, mm -hmm. as Christians. It's not. One of the really cool things about studying the Bible together with someone, particularly the Gospels, is that it's compelling mm -hmm. in and of itself. That as they start to see from the pages of Scripture themselves, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. he is compelling. Christ is compelling. So bring them as in close proximity as you can to wow. Christ himself and trust that God's Spirit will empower his word that's to convict so them. Uh, and I've seen that happen even before mm -hmm. my own eyes. Uh, so I think like that's probably the best tool is the Bible itself. <laughs> Amen. That's awesome. And, and folks, for Thad's full list of recommended apologetic books, um, go ahead and, again, check out our show notes, and we'll make sure we, we put them. Um, Thad, I have one last question for you. Uh, if you could go back in time to the Thad at Vanguard, what would you say to him knowing what you know now? Hmm. Aside from slapping him upside the head. <laughs> because he was... <laughs> That's an option. <laughs> that Thad was a fool. Oh, uh, man, what do I say to him? Hmm. I'd say... You don't know what you're what you're rejecting right now. Mm. You know, you're giving up steak for trifles. You're you're giving up mm. like, you know, as Lewis would say, a voyage at sea for playing with mud mm. that yeah, and that was some something that God brought me to. I didn't know what I had till I lost it, so to speak. Mm. Right? That the things, the very things that I was pursuing, the pleasures and the fulfillment that I was looking for in life was actually found in a thing that I was rebelling against and trying to disprove. Mm. And at the same time too, I was actually borrowing from the Christian worldview to do that. It's in effect, it was like if I was sitting on God's lap to slap his face. And, mm. uh, you know, I think I would try to challenge him that way and be like, you know, you think you're going for enjoyment and fulfillment and satisfaction in life. 
But those things are not found apart from. And mm. I try to compel him. But I, like I said, like my heart was set because it, my heart was unrighteous. Like I was set in my sin and enjoying it. And really, it, it would be a work of the spirit to, to change that. So I don't know, actually, if if today Thad went back to past Thad, maybe he would have been just as ineffective because it, it's not any of us that makes that deciding difference. It's the Holy hmm. Spirit. So yeah. perhaps the best thing today Thad could have done for past Thad is pray for him. Yeah. <laughs> and slap him across the head, right? And slap him across the head. <laughs> <laughs> wow, thank you. It's so good, Thad. It's been amazing having you on yeah. the show. I just want to thank you for your time and for everything mm. that you shared. I feel challenged and encouraged mm. and just inspired. Thank you guys so much. It's been a privilege, an honor, and a real pleasure to meet, you know, you and Margaret. And I'm thankful yeah. for ministries like this, that y'all are just, you know, these are opportunities to take the gospel far and wide. And what a time that we live in, right? Where we yes. have technology like this, that Paul yeah. could never imagine this, right? I <laughs> like we're know. literally, I'm talking right now, and it could be millions of people listening in and hearing you know, how yeah. God's transformed a life uh, through yeah. faith in Christ alone. Yeah, and that's, that's, amazing. that's beautiful. It's a beautiful time to live in. Yeah. yeah. Well, and thank you guys for what you. you're doing. I pray a yeah, lot of bless blessings you. on your ministry. Oh, mm-hmm. thank you. You as well. This is Kate with the send off. Today, we're featuring our 180 poet, Blind Tony. Thanks for sharing, Blind Tony. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans not to harm, but to prosper you. Behold, I am making all things new. Return to me, and I'll return to you. What an awesome promise from my Lord that I, even I, could be restored. Sins forgiven, past ignored, blessings in and on me poured. God, I'm so glad that you're not like men. You're more patient with me than my most patient, patient friend. Because I've returned to you again and again. And again and again, I've returned to my sin. Not just in some mistaken, erring way, but blatantly defiant. Day after day. Forgive me, God. Please forgive me now. Because I do want to serve you. Please show me how. Because I read your word. I fast. I pray. And I still fall short every single day. That's why I thank you for your mercy and your grace and for your open arms and your smiling face and for letting me know that even though I fail, victory is mine and I will prevail. And I thank you, Father, for telling me every day the battle's not yours. But I still need help staying out of those revolving doors. Because even though I'm out of Egypt, Egypt's still in me. And even though there are no bars or walls, I know I'm still not free. Father, give me more of your Holy Spirit. I love your voice and I long to hear it. And one thing, Father, grant me, please, an open heart on bended knees. 180 is a production of One Way Ministries.